episode 84, John Paragon, business coach from the UK. I think I've made plenty of mistakes, but I think I can always take something away from every mistake. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For links, show notes, and more, you can go to markraven.com slash mistake. 84. As always, thank you for listening. Please follow, rate, and review. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Before we start, I just want to give a quick disclaimer and warning that this podcast episode includes some sensitive subject matter regarding suicide. And today we're joined by John Paragon. He is a business coach based in the UK. He's focused particularly on coaching struggling fathers on discovering and launching their ideal business in 30 days. Um, His website, you can find him, is at www.paragonhustle.com. And um, we'll learn a little bit more about that today. But John, uh, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm keeping busy. Uh, Tell uh, the audience a little more specifically where you're located within the UK. So I mean Yorkshire, more specifically Leeds in the UK. Uh, so Yorkshire is known as, as God's country, I think it's referred to as. Uh, <laughs> there's some pretty spectacular places in, in Yorkshire, not to be uh, mixed up with London. Um, it's quite a bit different up here, but I've lived here my entire life. Apart from seven months I spent in London, I've lived in Yorkshire the rest of my life. So, Well, good. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad that you could join us today. And so, you know, before we talk about some of the work that you do and some of your other interests, um, you know, John, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Um, I think I have a few, to be honest. I think, uh, I think I've made plenty of mistakes, but... I think I can always take something away from every mistake. Um, one that springs to mind is rewinding a good few years ago when I decided to step into the entrepreneur journey that I'm on now, uh, pretty much full time. I was influenced to leave my typical nine to five job. Um, so I left and then I committed to never working in nine to five again. And I decided to only ever control my business, my income, my future, my safety net, you know, my security. And I decided to kind of go at it solo, which looking back now, given the opportunity again, I would never do again. Um, I would never encourage other people to do it again, you know, to drop out of their typical nine to five, to remove that safety net and that security, simply because it led me to have probably some of the most traumatic experiences uh, over the space of a few years. I kind of drove myself into a, a deep pit of despair and shame and hatred and resentment for myself. I fell into uh, a deep depression because I basically took on too much and I wasn't sure what to do next, but I certainly learned a hell of a lot from that. Now where I'm at now, I'm glad I did it now just because of what I've learned from it. Uh, how much I've been able to progress, the pain that came from it, I can use almost every day now. I know exactly who I want my clients to be. I know exactly what I want to help them with. You know, everything everything that was traumatic and painful about that particular mistake, 
I have learned from it and I use it almost every single day. So that is my favourite mistake uh, of, of the big ones anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's let's go a little bit deeper into the story. I'm curious a little bit more of the details. I mean, if you can sort of help, help set the stage, um, you know, uh, how old were you at that point? What, what was your nine to well, five job? 33, uh, rewinding about six years ago now, uh, five and a half years ago. So I worked for Hyundai. I worked as a new car salesman. Uh, and I worked there for about a year. I was actually nicknamed at this particular dealership. I was nicknamed Honest John. And this, this was from when I first started. Uh, all the salesmen had their names written up on the board. And everyone had forgot my surname. So they just wrote Honest John. And that was my nickname for the rest of the year I spent working there. But it was a type of dealership that everyone suspects salesmen are like, where they try to earn as much money on a sale as possible and they will happily sell a customer the wrong car. They will sell cars that they know have issues, but the customer will eventually come back. There was some really, really shady stuff going on there and it just didn't work for me. And I think we had we had many different managers over the space of a year. It's kind of going through new ownership, new transition. Um, and each manager that came in went, John, that your your uh, approach to business, approach to commission sales work, uh, commission-based work just doesn't work in car sales. It just doesn't work. And I refused to accept it. And it basically got to a point where I was heavily influenced to hand in my resignation. Uh, I think it was made clear that, it, you know, I wasn't wanted there just because of the approach that I took, um, which I understood, you know, I'd, at first I hated it. I think that they had made the, the wrong decision. Uh, I couldn't comprehend how they could want to remove someone like me who, you know, I turn up to work on time, whereas every single person there did not. I came in clean. Uh, I came ready to go. I had full intentions of helping the customers. I wanted, I worked for repeat business and just, it didn't really work with that culture that was there. So, so yeah, this was about five and a half years ago when this happened. Yeah. That's, um, that's unfortunate. I mean, to, to hear, of of you or anybody working in an environment where you feel like your own personal values are not aligned um, with the workplace. Um, did did you get introduced to customers as oh here here's Honest John he's going to help you now or that was just a behind the scenes? I did on a few occasions actually. Uh, some people ask why Honest John and I I actually explained to a few customers that on a few occasions this is true. I actually downsold customers on cars because the downsold version was a car that suited everything they needed, even though sometimes it made more profit for the company, but it was actually less revenue, less turnover. Um, so my managers didn't like it. You know, they're almost yeah. less concerned about the profit and the customer getting the right car. They were more concerned about larger amounts of money coming into the bank. Um, so I explained this to a few customers and they always appreciated it. <clears throat> Yeah, because you think, you know, you talk about repeat business, that doesn't happen real frequently in the car business, but you'd th you'd think uh, referrals, people could tell their friends and their family, and you think that that um, could drive um, a, additional business um, through others, but... Um, yeah. Well, I really, really wanted to change the, the mentality that uh, car sales doesn't get repeat business. I think car sales doesn't get repeat business because of the approach that the salesmen take, because of the, the kind of the culture that's established there where they take as much money as they can with the assumption they're never going to see that person again anyway. So what's the point of being nice to them and creating repeat business? But I think that's why they never receive repeat business. Yeah. I mean, that falls in the category of what I would call 
um, a self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you believe that to be true and you act that way, then of course it's going to be true. Yep. Um, so what did you go into then as, as your first entrepreneurial venture? Was it the work that you're doing now or was that something different? No. So uh, I didn't leave school at the appropriate age. I dropped out of school when I was 14. So I didn't leave school with any qualifications, uh, anything that, well, not much that I could transfer into later life. So I always had to be the person who came to work on time. Uh, presenting myself well, you know, always looking for shortcuts for the business to make more money. I had to be that person to make it to any any uh, great level. So when I decided to go out things solo, I think it was more a frustration and just deciding to take control of, of, of myself, my finances, my family. Um, but I decided to step into network marketing, which I tried a few different things over the space of a few years. Uh, and I did stick with one company for quite some time, but eventually moved away from all of that. It was up until three years ago. So early 2017, I moved in. I, I became interested in cryptocurrencies and I decided to create my own community uh, of people that were interested in cryptocurrencies. Uh, we saw we did peer to peer transactions. We did trade signals. We did any news on cryptocurrencies. We even arranged uh, property sales via cryptocurrency. So it was meant to be a hub for all things crypto related. And gradually over time, the business kind of evolved based on the demand of the people in the group. But originally, when this all started, there was me and four other people uh, in a Facebook Messenger group, and we'd tried a few different crypto things in the past, we decided the only way to secure our future, to make sure no one could run away with our money is for us to learn to trade ourselves. But the downside to that is it can take anywhere between two, five, 10 years to gain the experience to do it. Not even uh, thinking about the amount of money you would lose in the process to gain the skills to be able to do it efficiently, to rely on the profits from it. So we decided to hire a professional trader at the time, we paid $2,000 per month uh, for this trader. So between five of us, it was $400 per month that we were paying each. This trader had his own client base. When he submitted trades to his own clients and for his personal trades, we would copy them and post them in our group. So we could all copy them too. Um, before long, there was another group of friends that decided they wanted to get involved. So now it was down to like $200 per month each because there were 10 people in the group. So we decided to hire a second trader and a third trader. Well, basically what happened from there was that I realized this group was getting bigger and bigger. I decided instead of trying to manage the funds from everyone, I'll just charge people $97 per month. And no matter how many people are in the group, I would use 95% of the income that everyone's putting into a pot to hire more and more traders. So we did that. So eventually we had five or six traders and we had a group of about 50 people in the group. Um, but... No matter where people were in the world, they always thought they were missing the best trades. So whether you're in Australia or the UK or the US, based on the time zone that the traders were working, people would think, you know, the best trades come while I'm sleeping or while I'm eating or while I'm at work. So we realized we wanted to create some automation. So eventually I put some of the money to one side that we were gaining from the subscriptions. And I hired someone to create a very, very simple app. Uh, that automated the majority of the process of placing these trades for us. And then over time, that evolved more and more. More money came into the company, more subscriptions. And I just kept funneling 
So originally it was 75% or eventually, sorry, 75% of the funds that came into the company went back to paying more for more traders and the other 25% went to uh, paying for the software development. So eventually I ended up creating a, a completely automated trading solution where the professional traders sit on one side, the novice traders on the other, and then the software that sits in the middle. So I did that up until three months ago. Uh, I sold the majority of the company, so we're still in a transition process. So I'll be consulting for the next three months or so. Um, and yeah, that's that was that was the big project that I never expected yeah. to get that big. And yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like a success story. So what led to what you described as you know, this deep despair? Was it just the stress of not having um, a more certain paycheck? I mean, car sales being based on commission, there was at least some steady salary Well, this, to rely this kind on, of happened or? after the car sales job. So once I decided to go at things alone, stepping into the uh, multi-level marketing world was uh, pretty scary, uh, pretty tricky, a lot more difficult than I expected it to be. But there are a few things that contributed to it, really. Uh, my girlfriend was struggling with some mental things at the time. Uh, my little boy had just been born. So I had a five-year-old, six-year-old daughter at the time, and my little boy had just been born. My relationship was a mess. Uh, my mental state was a mess. My finances were a mess. I was in debt. I was about to tell the uh, landlord that I couldn't pay the rent for the next month. Uh, my, I had the typical car that was breaking down every single week and I was having to spend a fortune getting it fixed. It was just so many things, big or small, kind of hit me at one time. And I just got to a place where it almost seemed impossible to even get things back on track. Um, and based on the type of person I am and the type of person I grew up as, surrounded by men who do not ever ask for help, or I'm allowed to show any sign of emotions. I bottled it up for a while. Uh, I knew I couldn't speak to my girlfriend about it because she was struggling with her own things at the time. So I decided to uh, ask for professional help. So I basically called the doctors uh, and asked to book an appointment. The, I remember the lady who answered the phone, she, she asked what it was for. And I said, it's personal. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to discuss it. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't know what the issue was. I didn't know what I was going to speak about. Right. So we booked an appointment. I went to the doctor's office and I remember being called. We had to sit on this wooden bench outside uh, the doctor's room before they open the door and invite you in. So I'm sat on this wooden bench, just sat there. And I remember th this, this pit of the resentment and the shame and thinking the doctor's going to come out, invite me in, and they're going to think I'm attention seeking or that my problems are not that bad. Other people have got real issues. Why am I wasting the doctor's time? These were the kind of things that went through my head. Sure. So, and I still wasn't sure what I was going to say. I didn't know what the issue was. I just knew I was struggling and I felt defeated. So I remember the doctor opened the door, invited me in, a lovely lady. She sat down and I sat down opposite her. And she said to me, she uh, says, how can I help you today? And up until this point, I still had absolutely no idea what I was going to say. But as soon as she said, how can I help? I opened my mouth and the words that fell out were, I failed. And those words that I said, I get goosebumps thinking about this now. Uh, as soon as I said them, I then realized what my issue was. And I felt like I had failed at every aspect of life that I was supposed to succeed at. I failed as a parent, as a partner, as a business person, as a good person. Uh, you know, I, I, I failed at every everything I measure a good person on. 
uh, is kind of where I saw myself. So once I said that, I broke down. Um, she quickly prescribed me some medication and gave me a phone number to speak to a suicide hotline, which fortunately wasn't something that had gone through my head at the time. You know, I was lucky to not be in a, a position where that was a consideration. I'm grateful for that. I'm glad it didn't get that far. But I decided to call them anyway. And I was on a phone. I was on hold before I got to speak to anyone for 30 minutes. Uh, and I ended up putting the phone down because even if they answered after 30 minutes, that could have been 29 minutes too long for someone who needed their help. But I put the phone down and I carried on with with the rest of my life for a while. Uh, I took the medication for about nine months and I realized after some time that the medication pretty much just removed the peak emotions, good or bad. So when things were terrible, it removed that peak of it. So it wasn't quite as bad, but also the good stuff, it removed the ability to enjoy. Because I had a newborn son, I struggled with the ability to enjoy him and my relationship and, and the business and stuff that I was doing. So. I kind of just cut that out and it worked okay. I mean, over the next few years, my mood went up and down uh, and I've learned over the years now kind of the telltale, telltale signs of what influences this, what works for me, you know, what I'm actually aiming for. Mm-hmm. Well, John, I mean, I got, I mean, I, gosh, I appreciate you, um, you know, sharing all of that. Um, I really do. I mean, you know, to me, I mean, you know, um, to me, it's a sign of uh, it's a show of strength to admit a mistake, and, and and that's where you know one of the themes of this whole series is you know for people to um, you know try to um, set that example, myself included, um, talking about mistakes. I, I think it also shows strength to ask for help. I, I hear what you were saying. You may be the the environment um, you you were raised in. There are, there are often kind of you know, cultural norms around like, well, yeah, asking for help is, is, is weakness. And I, I appreciate you, um, you know, fighting through that and, um, and for having the strength to share that with us here. I appreciate that. Um, so going back to, you know, sort of some of the things you reflected on from leaving a, a, a job and jumping straight into entrepreneurship, um, what, you know, I'm curious what advice, I think this leads into, um, you know, the advice or, you know, that you would give to others. I'm, I'm curious, you know, your, your, your company and the website is Paragon Hustle. I don't know if in the UK, in the UK there's a similar phrase. Um, here in the US, people in recent years talk about uh, a side hustle, doing something, whether that's driving Uber or um, one, of, one of my other guests on the podcast, um, Dr. Greg Jacobson, you know, he's a medical doctor who has for 10 years now had a software company that I'm involved with, a company called Kinexus. Um, he started that. Most people have their side hustle at night. He was actually doing software company during the day and still working as an emergency physician um, wow. at, at night. And that was that was part of his safety net. And yeah, I've, I've heard different schools of thought. Some would say, keep the job, keep the benefits. Like in the United States, health insurance is... A concern. I know that's different. You know, you, there you have the NHS, um, but yeah, you know, and there are some who say, well, you know, if you don't fully commit to it, you might hold yourself back. I don't know what the right answer is. What 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 are your thoughts? What coaching or approach do you recommend? I think you've got to find a balance between the two that works for you specifically. Um, I will never recommend to someone uh, 
uh, go at it alone unless I know them on a deep level where I know they can make it work and they have at least somebody to to coach them, someone who has already achieved what they are aiming for that can help them get there in the most efficient manner possible. Again, I made the mistake of thinking I could do it on my own. And for many years, up until the point where I built the previous company, I did everything on my own. I learned to run Facebook ads. I learned to build websites. I learned to build funnels. I learned to do all my own marketing. And I say learn. I learned the absolute basics enough to survive and pay the bills. I never really gained any traction because I was kind of just exploring and trying different stuff. I never... I don't know. I just didn't have the guidance to be able to do it. So more so in the US because you need it for the health insurance. Uh, you know, that's a huge deal. I do strongly encourage people, every single person to build some kind of side hustle, whether you are generating $250 per month or $1,000 or $2,500. Every person I think should have some kind of side hustle that they enjoy that they can build up over time until it's eventually big enough for them to sustain themselves consistently. Then they can look at reducing their hours in their typical day job, or they can drop it completely. That's the most secure way to do it. And you don't need that many hours to build a side hustle, depending on which one it's going to be. You know, you can build serious income with not too many hours. Mm -hmm. But one thing that made a major difference for me is to actually hire the people who are experts in their field. So when it came to developing the software, I hired the professionals. When it came to the traders, I hired the professionals. Web design, I hired somebody. Uh, marketing, I hired somebody. Even setting up the affiliate sales, I hired somebody to manage all of that. Because I genuinely believe you should do what you do best, figure out what your skills are, figure out where you specialize, focus on that and outsource the rest of it, get somebody else to do the rest of it. It really does work long-term rather than having the scarcity mindset where you think, I don't want to pay someone else to do this. I can do it myself. I'll build my own website. I'll run my own Facebook ads because then you've got yourself 10 jobs and it just, it doesn't work long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, a previous guest, I'll point back to episode uh, 21, um, Aaron Thompson. Um, that was one of the things he talked about as being, one of his favorite mistakes, trying to do too much of it yep. himself. And, and that seems like a common theme. And I've, I've been guilty of that myself when it comes to podcasts and websites and um, things that, that I've done um, on my own. So that's a good reminder, maybe coming in, into a new year to, um, to make a list. What are the things I should continue doing? What are the things that, that I should get help with? Um, I would strongly encourage to do that. I think it's incredibly important to understand what what areas you work the best in and focus on that. Um, one other question I have, um, you know, your, your focus, especially on, um, you know, fathers, coaching fathers who, who want to launch um, a business. Is that, is there that connection because you're a father yourself and, and, and you have that desire to help others who are in that similar situation? Yeah, very much so. So I think part of the struggles that I had when I started this journey, and I think that still has an impact on me now to want to help people uh, that have that extra commitment to fatherhood, uh, those people who do want to be able to spend more time with their families, who want to be able to provide more, but don't have, a lot of the time, I think it's the mental freedom to be able to do so. Fathers feel like their comfort zone is in providing. That's their purpose. If they can do that well, 
that's their priority, then everything else is not quite as important. But if they can provide just as well with less time input, with less energy input, and allow themselves more mental tax, I guess, to be able to contribute to the families, that's kind of what I want to encourage. So, I mean, I sold my company very recently. I earn significantly less doing the coaching now than I did in a previous company. But I do this because it it kind of fulfills me a little bit more. You know, I've got a good group of clients now, enough to keep to keep me busy, enough for me to enjoy without getting swamped and being overwhelmed, enough to live a reasonably comfortable lifestyle. I'm not doing it to earn loads and loads of money. I'm really not. Otherwise, I'd have kept my previous company. I'm doing it because I kind of want to contribute. I think all humans by nature we want to be able to contribute, but we need to look after ourselves and our families first before we can give back to other people. Sure. Yeah, and to be part of something larger than yourself, and that that can mean your community and in helping others and being of service. So that's uh, that's great. Yep. That's great. Um, so you know, uh, do do you work with people exclusively in England or the UK? No, no. So I think the majority of my clients are from the UK, but I think that's because the majority of them have come from. I've worked with them in. in worked with them in the past uh, through previous projects or part of the previous company that I sold. So I've already built that that reputation with them. They already trust me anyway. So the majority of them are from the UK. But as time goes by, I am seeing more and more people from the US. Uh, and I don't think I have any clients outside of the UK or US, to be honest. Not yet anyway. I'm open to a first. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, yeah. I mean, the website... Um Again, it's www.paragonhustle.com. I guess that .com kind of implies what I mean. If it were .co.uk, you know, that that might say, hey, I help people in England. But, you know, with the Internet and I imagine in in this day and age with um, COVID, you're doing a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of virtual coaching. Is that right? Yeah. So so everything is pretty much done uh, online. Uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to do face to face meetings. Uh, I'm looking at organizing my own mastermind here in the UK, maybe eventually one in the US too. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Uh, but everything is done online. You know, everything's done as a done with you model. Um, so it would help if we could do face to face, you know, having that extra bit of interaction as well. Uh, I do enjoy that. And I think everybody enjoys that too. Uh, but at the moment, we kind of have to make online manage. Great. Well, good. Well, again, our, our guest today has been um, John Paragon. Um, John, thank you for you know sharing some really honest reflections. Thank you for um, sharing your story. That means a lot to me that that you would do that. And I'm, I'm sure that's um, going to help and inspire um, a lot of listeners. So um, again, I hope so. You. Thank you very much for having me. I do sure. appreciate it. Thank you. Be well. Thanks again to John Paragon for being our guest today. For show notes, links, and more, go to markgraven.com slash mistake84. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.